there, friends. Welcome to Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. And sometimes we interview bands and band members as well. And that's going to be what is happening on today's episode. Today, I'm really excited because we're going to be speaking with Jonathan Diener, also known as Jono Diener from The Swellers. He was the drummer for The Swellers. The Swellers put out a bunch of great records, records that I revisit often. And Jonathan is a very pro- prolific guy he's a very busy guy as well he's in a bunch of other musical projects as well put out a record under the title baggage last year life in misophonia which is also a great record and on this record and this band in particular he is the frontman. so not only does he play drums but he's a multi-instrumentalist he plays guitar and bass as well and he's a songwriter he helped Vinny from lesson jake fame curate the art for his new comic book inspired project the inevitables we talk a little bit about that as well he is also the co-founder of rootless coffee a new coffee company out of flint michigan and we talk a little bit about the parallels there with being in a band how that relates to running a business. We talk a lot about creativity and how to cultivate creativity. We talk a lot about how to channel creativity in ways that transfers to different facets. And we talk a little bit about how band members oftentimes can identify themselves with their band. And sometimes they have a difficult time getting away from that identity. This was just a really amazing conversation. Really enjoyed talking to Jonathan. I really appreciate him giving me his time. That's the thing, when people are busy, time is is the most important thing that there is. So I really appreciate him giving me his time today. I hope you enjoy this interview. I hope you get something from it because I think there's a lot here that is universal and something that we can all relate with. And without further ado, my wide ranging conversation with John O'Diener. Trying again. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I don't know if it was video or not. I was trying to get close to the window, but it glitched out super hard because the Wi-Fi is awful up here. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Are you in Flint right now or? Yep. Yeah, we're in our roasting space is in there. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think okay. I've seen some promo photos there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm hoping the connection doesn't get poopy, but we should be good. <laughs> it's all good, man. We'll navigate it if it does, okay? Cool. I met you, I guess, two years ago now on the early November tour. I just happened to spot oh, yeah. you. I'm in, I'm in Lawrence right now, but I saw you guys play in Kansas City. Okay, yeah. That was fun. Yeah, exactly. All the, all the good memories. No, I, I think about Get Up Kids, so that's my my happy Kansas memory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because Matt Pryor, he actually lives in Lawrence. And before COVID, we'd see him pretty much everywhere. We go out, all right. my girlfriend and I, we go to get brunch on Sundays, and we'd almost in, always invariably run into him and his whole family and stuff. So I, cool. I grew up listening to Get Up Kids, so every time I'm I'm trying not to just totally fanboy out, but he's like, "Yep, I live here." Yeah, and I'm from Kansas City, and what's so funny when I first started listening to Get Up Kids, I had no idea they were from Kansas City. Oh, really? Yeah, it came maybe a few years later that I made that connection. Oh, I I live in the same area as all these really rad bands that are just kind of blowing up and stuff. Which is funny because it's such a like a niche music scene out there yeah yeah it was around that time too for sure the late 90s yeah i should be reset up i got cool the the bright ass lights it's just audio right yeah i'm just recording audio okay yeah cool 
just as a backup. What I've found is, you know, I've got my my mic and stuff set up here and I've been recording through Audacity, but most of the interviews that I've been doing via Zoom, you know, I can tweak the audio a little bit. This sounds fine. I'll just record an intro separately and, but it's been good so far. It's been fun. Yep. Yeah, the man. The joys of technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man, dude. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Uh, we have this other office space in Flint and it's, the internet spotty so i was like oh i'll go to old reliable and then you know. <laughs> tried and true right yep yeah, yeah yeah i've done zoom on my computer before and i found that it just works better with my phone sometimes and then i'm kind of free to do whatever i need to do on the computer if i if i'm doing something like this i've got a list of questions here Wait. so dude you're doing rootless right now you said you were stickering coffee packages right did you guys yep. i'm sure you guys did really really well last weekend yeah. Cool. Was, and you're the CCO of Rootless? Correct. Yep. And co-owner. Okay. Awesome. I love the, the artwork. Oh, thank you, man. I'll see you like looking at me and then I'll finish saying something and then you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's like Discord all over again, so. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. But yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, 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 for sure. How about I ask you a question and then you can just riff on it as long as you want and I'll just let you go. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna say okay. whichever works best for you. Okay, cool. Awesome. So tell me about Rootless. How did that have you always been interested in coffee? I mean, as an adult, have you enjoyed coffee? Have you wanted to start your own coffee company before? Or was that something you thought about maybe during the band days? Or is that something that's kind of new this year, this project? So I trying to think of when I started drinking coffee, but I was like a late coffee bloomer. And I'm a coffee bloomer boomer. I just had to run. <laughs> but I remember being on tour and my friend would get iced coffee all the time when like iced coffee was first like getting introduced to the mainstream. And I was totally against caffeine even at that point. So I was like, I don't understand why people even drink this. This is crazy. But it always like looked weirdly refreshing. And then finally, one day I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a try. Why not? And, and then I realized I'm like, I'm tired all the time. How do our guys stay up on night drives all the time? Because we would have to drive through the desert in Nevada or something like that. And if the second it gets dark, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like, it's the same with, like, daylight savings time and all that. So I eased in with, like, gas station coffee. I would get, like, a, a gas station latte, which is just, like, gross pre-made flavored Syrup. chemical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then I started going to Starbucks and all those places. And then I started finding the things I like. So, like anyone, it's, like, really sweet ease into like straight good black coffee. So first I worked at Starbucks for two years and it was not for me, but I still am into like their cold brew and stuff like that. But I just had a weird feeling where I'm like, it has the whole like corporate vibe. I don't know. Then I started working at a high end coffee place in Flint. And that's where I learned like the really knee deep into uh, third wave coffee. So for those that don't know, third wave coffee is like high end coffee that's like prepared in specific ways to really enhance the flavors and all that. So I really went headfirst into all that stuff, got super in love with it. Then I, my palate completely changed where I'm like, oh no, I only like really good coffee or really crappy like Waffle House coffee. Like <laughs> there was like, <laughs> there was a, like one or the other would work really well for me. So having worked at all those places, the whole time I was also getting into marketing because I've been doing that for my bands for, you know, 10 plus years. So then I was like, I, I kind of wish I could do this, but I'm like, eh, whatever. I, you just can't. That's how it works. You know, like you have your parameters. Third wave coffee is always like really like simple and nice and blah, blah, blah. 
And my friend Sean was exiting a company and we started talking. And then finally we were like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going through this job situation. He's like, yeah, I'm doing the same. We're like, cool, cool, cool. You know, it'd be cool if there was like a coffee place. That, and then that's when the conversation started where I was like, what if blank with no expectation or it was no one's doing this right now. That would be really exciting. So then finally I was like, what if there is high end coffee, like the stuff he makes, but packaged like the stuff that is crushing right now. So like death wish coffee is it's so caffeinated. It's going to kick your ass. And like all of these people <laughs> have like, and it's like a skull and crossbones and they have their own, like, you know, it's almost like their own fan base for just that kind of coffee. Bones coffee is another one that's doing really well with like just goofy over the top weird stuff. So in my, I always say like, I have like an octopus of interest and I have like eight different things going on at once all the time. So while I was a musician guy and working in high end coffee and doing marketing, I am also a comic writer and art is one of my favorite things in the world. I can't physically do it, but I love curating it and thinking of things and working with creatives. So I could condense all of these into a thing. So and I would use coffee as the medium for that. So that's when I started working with my comic artist friends. And I was like, I know you're into coffee. What if we did this? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like almost immediately, all of the people I asked were down. So within like, oh, I think it was a month, we had a first wave of coffee bag designs, coffee bag or coffee roasts. And then we were like, I think we're a company already. This is insane. And then we launched it and it was <laughs> absolutely bonkers. So I'm used to like scrappy little DIY punk stuff where it's like, you know, let's cut costs and like, let's make it sustainable and do whatever. And then it's the first time that any of us working here, were like, we have a product that people buy. People actually buy coffee. They don't buy records. They don't really buy comics. You have to find like this niche thing all the time. But coffee, regardless, is like a universal truth for people. Like, so we are like, all we have to do is we know that they already need coffee. Let's make the high-end stuff more affordable and then let's package it so it's super exciting and we get like the creatives and like the fun part of it. So once we combined all of that, then we were finally like, okay, we found our, our brand voice. Our brand voice is it's creative energy. And that's kind of what Rootless is all about. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of the brand being rooted in creative energy, you know, because creatives, they need their lifeblood, which is coffee. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It is kind of like a universal thing. People love drinking coffee, especially now. Like I think people, there is sort of like a subculture of branding associated with these coffee companies. I follow King State down in Florida, Nate from Amberlin. And yeah, it's just, it's cool. It's cool that you were able to transfer your marketing skills for the band, all those years marketing for your band into something that is similar in DIY ethos with the coffee company as well. And it's cool. Your friends just jumped on board. No questions asked. I mean, that, yeah. I think that's a testament to you and networking and just establishing relationships with creative people over the years. And I think creative people, they're kind of like satellite people. They find other creative types and they're just drawn yeah. to that sort of energy. It's really cool. I can definitely tell there's an aesthetic when I go to Rootless's website and I see the way you, I like the fact that you guys have merch available on the website and it all looks very, very cool. And it's just a good way to sort of get the brand out there. You've got walking billboards of somebody is going to wear your t-shirt out there in, in Michigan or, exactly. or beyond in the States and well, stuff. Well, that specifically so, was a big um, a talking point for us. Is it too early for merch? 
And then we started getting hit up by, it was unsolicited people emailing us and being like, I would have bought a hundred dollars worth of merch if I went to your site and saw it when you launched. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we just kept hearing it, kept hearing that. And then finally we're like, <laughs> okay, we should just do it. And, and exactly what you said, part of advertising is you pay for a billboard. Why not pay for a thing that people wear every single day? Because what we like about our social media is when people get the product, they're more prone to post about it, which is really fun. So it's like, here's my own take of the thing I got and how excited I am about it. But that's just an advertisement. And people are stoked, but every single time that happens, it's free advertising, which is cool, which yeah. is again, the beauty of having cool artwork. But then when it comes to merch, you go through a bag of coffee in like two weeks or so, but a t-shirt can last forever a hoodie, a beanie, whatever. And that's how we operated in band world. We didn't make money from album sales. We made money from merchandise. Yeah. So we got to the point where we're like, let's, we can operate as like a DIY punk band, but almost like a clothing line and a coffee line. And, and then we started realizing we're like, oh, this is just a business. Like that's how it actually happens. You know, you, you start like yeah. leveling up with like a simple idea you expand enough to stay sustainable and then you actually execute on the stuff you talk about. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Brand awareness is huge too, especially in the land of now, I think everybody's trying to find creative ways to get their brand out there and just make people aware of their brand. So yeah, I think doing merchandise is brilliant, especially like from a band perspective, you know, because these days, you know, I'm 36 years old, but I, I don't know if you feel this way. I still feel a need to display the bands that I listen to. I still like buying band shirts and wearing them. And I don't know, I think that's transferred from just my love of punk rock when I was a kid. And, you know, you'd wear like a NoFX shirt to, to school or something. It's just, it's nice to just sort of embody who you are. It becomes part of your identity, you know? And yep. I think people, if they're drinking coffee every single day, sure it's part of well, They're like, I support small businesses, small coffee brewers, that sort of. So yeah, it's, it's a really good idea. So I might ping pong a little bit. I, hopefully you'll indulge me. I was doing a lot of research last night, just kind of pertaining to the Swellers. I was a big Swellers fan. I grew up on bands like Epitaph bands, Fat Wreck bands. I was a big Green Day fan when I was a kid. What were some of your guys' early influences? I have a pretty good guess, but I, I just kind of want to hear your take on it. Yeah. And I, I read somewhere that your first local show was with Mustard Plug and the Suicide Machines. Um, the or One of the first big shows that you guys had. Yeah. So, yeah. So to, to backtrack a little bit on influence wise or whatever, when we first started, we were kind of like the young teen melting pot of punk confusion. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so like the name, the swellers was like intended as like a very uh, pop punky, like screeching weasel, like that kind of world where it's like the queers and like other bands like that. So that's kind of where that name originated. So like at our first show, we played a Ramon song but we also played a starting line song. <laughs> and then like, so like we, we were like still kind of like figuring out what the hell we were. And then once we were always into them, but No Use for a Name was the band that kind of like cemented, this is what we are, where it was fast and melodic and had that punk rock stuff, but it had like emotion to it. And that for me was super important because it was more than just like, here's aggression or here's like technicality. It was, we're, we're, singing about something we're playing something that makes you feel a certain way so we combined our love of no use for name weezer and bands like the get up kids and kind of like made this like um i guess like emotional melodic punk that was kind of like the idea what we wanted to do which obviously came later on was more refined but at first it was like the 
album Hard Rock Bottom from No Use for a Name was like a major influence for our first like actual EP. The early, early one was like, we're like snotty little punk kids and we don't know if we like Pennywise or <laughs> we like Weezer, you know? And then as far as like local shows and stuff like that, um, the funny thing is the building we're in, it's the address of 432 and the Flint local 432, this was the first location where it was, which is hilarious that like our roaster's right over there. But wow. the, the venues moved around over the years and that kind of stuff. So it was actually two blocks from here where we played our first show. And it was with a band called Divot who were on Nitro Records and then a band called Antifreeze that was on, um, it was like Kung Fu Records or something like that. Yeah. So we were like, yeah, this is like the craziest, oh my God, this is the biggest show we're ever going to play. And it was like 15 people or something like that. So that was like our actual first show. But then like we started working at the Flint Local 432 and going to all these shows. And there's a band called Left for Ruin, which was Jay from Suicide Machines, other band. And we like went up to him and we were like nervous as hell and like gave him like, end of discussion the very first sweller cd and we're like we're such big fans like you know we listen to tony hawk and like blah 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 and then the next day the promoter hit us up and was like so suicide machine specifically asked for you guys to open for them the next show they play here and we're like what <laughs> like that's bad really? <laughs> yeah so like they, they have always and like literally to this day have been like the most supportive band where they're like, no, we help Michigan out. We help punk rock out. We do whatever we can. So they were one of the first mustard plug again, local dudes. We got on their show. They became buddies. And then uh, the first like national homies of ours, it was the band, a Wilhelm scream from uh, Massachusetts, New Bedford specifically. So they got us our first like package tour and it was them and only crime and only crime and like i like i love that to anyone else listening to this like i sound like the most like old guy just naming a bunch of bands but like if you know it's like insane because only crime is the singer of good riddance guitarist of bane dude from modern life is war and like most important bill stevenson yep the the drummer of black flag descendants all every awesome band so i got to like really like cut my teeth with like punk rock legends on her first tour. And we're like little whiny hyperactive kids, you know? Um, <laughs> and then that's kind of what jumpstarted everything for us. And then later like bands like Less Than Jake took us under their wing. It was, there was a lot of ska in our, in our early traje- trajectory. Um, but that was kind of like what pop punk bands would go with, you know, before like the new wave of pop punk was all the like set your goals for your strongs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was good buddies with the band Yellow Card, and one of their first big tours was with Less Than Jake. Yep. I think Less Than Jake did a really great job of taking out smaller bands that were on the verge of doing really important things. Like, they just had a good ear to the grindstone, I think, in discovering some really great bands. I mean, I remember in 2002, I went and saw Less Than Jake, and it was Punchline, Fall Out Boy, and Teen Idols. Mm-hmm. opening for Lesson Jake and I, I was in a band at that point so I kind of knew that Fall Out Boy was on the verge of blowing up and Punchline had a lot of buzz about them so I kind of knew them but I was like that's really smart they're taking out these these younger bands that are going to bring kids out that hopefully they can garner some new fans that way but when also they're on the label too so like yeah you know so it was like our showcase because Vinny owned Feel by Robin at the time so that was exciting about that too, because he had such a good ear for what was about to blow up and like, obviously fallout boy, <laughs> it worked. Yeah. So, yeah. 
What's funny too, is I remember there being more hype around Punchline and Punchline, they're great. They've, they put out so many great records. I'm a huge fan of those guys, but Fall Out Boy, I, I don't think anybody was, was expecting them to blow up as big as they did. I remember hearing that first record and thinking, okay, this is definitely catchy, but uh, no, that's, that's rad. I mean, you're right. Ska bands and pop punk bands, they were kind of like in the same Warped Tour umbrella at that point. So it makes sense why, you know, Less Than Jake might take a band like Yellow Card or a band like The Swellers out on the road. That's rad. As far as The Swellers go, so you you started playing some local shows and things. Can you tell me a little bit about, this is just for my own personal curiosity, can you tell me a little bit about Nitro Records? Yeah. Because I saw, (laughs) I I read last night that you guys almost signed to Nitro. Yeah. They they folded or they went out of business? Yep. So the complete unfiltered version was when a Wilhelm scream we like went to a few of their shows early on or we went to one of their shows gave them a cd they were stoked they had us play with them like the next month because they toured like every single month like full u.s stuff so they were like nitro's golden boys essentially so they had a lot of clout with them they were trying to like do a new wave of bands so they're like there's band no trigger from massachusetts there's which i'm in now which is hilarious and then there's a band called much the same from chicago which was like the first like out of state connection we had and you know there's all these connections that started building and building but specifically with wilhelm scream we they played at alvin's in detroit we went in their van and they played us ruiner for the first time and i like almost started crying because it was like one of the coolest things i've ever heard and then we're like oh yeah we're working on new stuff and we showed them our first ep like beginning of the end again and they just started like texting the people at Nitro, like the A&R guy, like, <laughs> hey, and we we're like, what the fuck? Like, you can do this? <laughs> uh, so we were like losing our minds. And that turned into on one of our next like US tours, we got to meet Dexter Holland and like have like a meeting at the Nitro office, which again is insane because you're touring a place where it's like, oh, here's like Vandals and AFI and Aquabats and Rufio and like all these bands that we we're like, oh my God, this is insane. So we had like the meeting there had another one and I remember seeing like a bunch of like hot sauce gringo bandito hot sauce things oh yeah Dexter like started this company and that was like half the warehouse and it wasn't as many records okay we're like you know we're still working on this album like we're kind of ready to roll you know and keep in mind I was I think I was 17 still um and I remember that there was like some hang-up about me not being old enough to sign or something like that or something weird that but I was like I don't think that's a thing like because that happens like Hanson exists you know um so we're like okay and then we went there or no sorry we were like working on an album that was going to be called my Everest uh (laughs) and I remember we got a call and we were about to sign the contract that week or it was actually that day we were supposed to get it and the call was hey uh we're pretty much bankrupt so we're not going to be able to sign you and it was like after like holding out that long and like our dream that the bizarre thing about our band was stuff happened very quickly and we were too young to realize how wild that was you know so we were like kind of just like shitty little ungrateful kids where we're like like obviously we we're doing all the hard work and stuff but we're like man this didn't happen like oh so when you're a kid and that's like your dream label and then it falls through because the label's falling through <laughs> it's kind of like a heartbreaking thing. So we actually, the song Clean Slate is about Nitro Records on that album, which a lot of people don't really know. But yeah, that was supposed to be our first like shot. And then it was 
another however many years. I think it was 2007. And then 2009 is when the Fuel by Ramen stuff happened. And that was like, we got management and like all this stuff started. Pretty much we cold called, emailed labels. We're like, here's some new demos we did. What do you think? And one of them that we wrote was Johnny, who was friends with my cousin growing up. My cousin got Johnny Minardi into punk rock. He ended up being, he had a label called LLR Records. And that was like the Academy is and like a bunch of other bands. And then he became the Field by Ramen A&R dude. And then we emailed him as one of the people. And he was like, yeah, this is sweet. Let's talk. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> that works? <laughs> so again, that was one of those things where like, that was the first time in my life we were actually a sought after thing for a second where we were talking to like several labels and like they were doing like counter offers and all that like crazy behind the scenes stuff. And then John Janik, the dude who's now like head of Interscope or whatever the hell at the time he called us and goes, I understand you're talking to other label. Um, just know that like they put out like 50 releases a year and you're going to be one of three albums we release in 2009. So we're going to take care of you. And doesn't matter if you'll get slightly more money from someone else, we're going to make you a name. We are like, eh, let's go with that. You know? So like that, that was all of these wild things that happened kind of in a row, but to us, we were still sleeping on people's floors and we were like very literally slumming it and kind of like a different version of what like rootless is where it's like, let's hand sticker our bags. Let's have our friends do the stuff, whatever. At the time we we're like, our friends will do our merch designs. We'll sleep on their floor. We'll play wherever we can to make it work without realizing, oh, maybe we could save morale by <laughs> being slightly more comfortable with like a, one hotel a week or something, you know, but, <laughs> but that, that's part of like a lot of the stuff in retrospect is like crazy that that we are able to do it and like function as human beings at the same time. Yeah. I read that you guys were still sort of walking the line and talking to everybody after the Paramore tour, the big tour that you guys did in 2009 to sell your records. So it kind of speaks to what you're saying. You guys were still sleeping on floors, trying to minimize how many motel rooms you had in the week. There was just tenacity and a drive still there, which I appreciate also, you guys. Keep, keep in mind, we didn't get hotel rooms, period. Wow. At all. We literally would yeah. stay at a stranger's house that night if we had to. <laughs> we'd yeah. be like, does anyone have a place we could stay? And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you guys did it, right? Didn't you guys have bands stay at your house, like at your family's house when they would roll through? Yeah. So uh, we would have like a Wilhelm scream. The Wonder Years, like early, early on, stayed at our place. Yeah, that was like the thing. And then I, my mom would like make everyone food at like one in the morning when they would show up and stuff. So that was like, kind of like the, like mama Diener was like a known person and <laughs> for a second, which was cool. That's really cool though. I mean, I had a similar experience. I was in a band in the early 2000s called Game Time. And what's funny is we actually, we housed a Wilhelm scream at one point. They came over. We played a lot of shows with Don't Look Down and, and yeah. Rufio. So we were kind of privy to what was happening with Nitro in the early 2000s because we broke up in 2004. So you guys really started generating a lot of hype around like the mid 2000s, 2006, 2007. Because I remember hearing about the Swellers and you guys were this great under underground unsigned band at the time. And I remember hearing some of your songs and just really connecting to it. But I think that's cool too. The fact that you had hospitable parents, you had a nice upbringing, you were, you recognized that you could help out bands when they were rolling through, but it was also probably a great networking 
tool as well, right? You got to know yeah. some of these bands. And none of it was on purpose, you know? It was just, oh, we could help people out. And like, the thing I always try and tell people, especially now that I'm in my 30s, is we were able to do that stuff because we were privileged as hell. <laughs> like, yeah. our parents had a nice house and they helped us get our first band. All of these things that bands are just like, dude, how'd you guys do it? I'm like, well, we were just born into like a situation where it made it easier. And there's a lot of people don't understand that there's a correlation between like successful, specifically pop punk bands and having parents that have money. <laughs> like, you know, cause everyone thinks it's like, yeah, like I grew up on the street. We were like slumlords on the road. I would sleep on Taco Bell wrappers and stuff and like bring a bag of like quarters with me. But I, at the time got to go to a rent free place at my parents' house, you know? So like that was, how we were able to make a lot of that happen. But we kept the mentality of what we learned on the road is how that transitioned into adulthood to where, okay, how do we minimize cost? How do we do the extra work to make people see what's going on? And then eventually get enough to pay rent and like live on our own and do all that stuff, you know? Right. So that like the parents was kind of like the beginning of that kind of idea of where we could give back. Eventually we could take bands on tour. We could eventually do all this other stuff. And that was, the early 2000s was crazy too, because of MySpace, like it was such a good tool to like actually get the word out. So I remember having like, a, I was early social media guy back then. Like I had, I, I'm a writer now, but at the time the MySpace blog, I would have uh, my tour blog and tour updates and all that kind of stuff. And I was like taking photos on my shitty, like Canon PowerShot, <laughs> uploading that and writing what happened that day. Not knowing that that's like blogging early on. And then doing like we had like one of those like friend adder things i would it would pretty much just like send a message to like a shit ton of people who liked punk or punk rock or whatever keywords and or like a lot of it what i did was i would find like a band like rufio or a band like whatever and invasively send messages to every single person that follows them and go like hey we're a punk rock band from michigan here's our stuff if you like that you might like us and that was like my first take of like oh, I'm like doing the work to actually market this stuff or like going to the mall and handing out flyers. Even if people throw, throw away half of the shit, you have to do the work. You know what I mean? So that, that's why like I've always had to kind of <laughs> be the obnoxious like self-promoter hustler because I didn't really have a network of people that would do it for me. And then now it's just kind of like second nature where it's like, here's another thing I'm doing. I'm going <laughs> to yell at you about it. You have to give me money now. <laughs> But I, I like that, you know, I like that tenacity and that just, I think you do a good job of letting people know what is happening in your world, the things that you're working on and people gravitate towards that. I think at this point, just following you on social media and things generally when, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of the things that you've done. So generally if you've got a new project, I'm more apt to just check it out because I'm probably just more of a fan of you. You know, there's, yeah. there's, and I think, like you said, there's a correlation between what you were doing when you were younger with blogging and documenting your process and brand awareness and marketing that translates to this scrappiness, entrepreneurial spirit that you have now. So it all kind of shifts, but it translates to something else. And really at the end of the day, it's all creativity, right? Like you're just a creative yeah. person and you're creative with all your endeavors when it comes to art, music, coffee, even writing to a certain extent. I've been writing a lot more in my thirties, I'm a fitness guy. So I'm always trying to make that less boring if I can, but you have to be able to communicate with your writing and communicate with your messaging and things like that. I think you do a really, really good job kind of segueing into, are you still doing freelance writing? Yeah. So I currently am 
working for a company called Plant X. It's essentially the the quick pitches. They're like the vegan Amazon. Cool. So it's all like health and wellness plant based products, and they have a brick and mortar location opening in Squamish, British Columbia, and San Diego in the next year. And then they're just like a massive e-commerce thing. So I'm in corporate copywriting world for that. And then that's kind of taken up a lot of my freelancer time because I I was doing Vice, Alternative Press, and then locally Flint Beat and like other news things. But I, I had to get adult mode because the reason I was always, again, like the multifaceted octopus person with <laughs> the things I do, it's just because like, as a freelancer, you have to do like a hundred things to make one adult's amount of money. So yeah. I've been slowly but surely like condensing that and learning how to say no to things, which has been intense. Because one of my friends is a director dude in LA and he hit me up about doing commercial copywriting and all this stuff. And I was like, that's my dream, literally to do cool ads and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't think I can right now. And it like broke my heart, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm doing a lot of writing still, which is the benefit of being in the coffee world because I need a lot of it lately. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I've always appreciated your writing. You've always been willing to be vulnerable and transparent about your experiences in the swellers and things. I was rereading an article that I read when it came out about being a mid-level band that you may have heard of. I just really like that article because I think so many people could really relate to what you're saying there, you know? And it's it's refreshing because a lot of times I think bands, they kind of hold stuff to the chest a little bit. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I really enjoy listening to kind of the behind the scenes, but I also like making those connections to what's happening now in their lives and how being in a band shifts and translates and transfers to later years. And yeah, I'm definitely finding those parallels with just, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, marketing and being creative. But that's cool. I mean, you're doing copywriting. Is that, that's kind of a different animal, right? Because copywriting is more geared towards selling through storytelling, or maybe you have a different, because a lot of times I'm trying to work on my own copy. Is there like a difference between writing, say like a vice blog or article versus copywriting for a company? Yeah, I guess the main difference is I approach copywriting from how would I want to read something if I'm scrolling as fast as I can and what makes me care. So like that could be, I almost approach it like I'm doing like a comic or I'm doing um, like music related stuff only for the fact of it's, I have to give you a quick bite of something I hope you pay attention to. Whereas like an article, you have the time to breathe and like, you're telling someone else's story and doing that kind of stuff. So for a good example, Plan X was like, oh, we're doing indoor plant subscriptions. So it's like, we're like really pushing the importance of having, you know, not only home decor, but the health benefits and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, bring some life into your living space. That's a tagline. And then they yeah. did this like awesome design where it's like life is all like made out of plants and stuff. And I was like, that's sweet. Like that's dope. That's awesome. And and then I realized like what I'm doing for Rootless and what I did for like the other coffee company I worked for in the past, it's, it's almost like puzzles and like challenges where it's like, how do I solve this? Like it's as if I'm playing like a word scrabble game and I have to like figure it out and I have like an hour to do it. And that's super exciting for me where it's like, how do I sell this thing or how do I show people what it is? Cause on, on my end, 
I hate LinkedIn talk and I hate like, yeah, it's coming down the pipeline. Oh, we have blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> like, like I, I check out so fast, but if you're able to give something a voice and like a personality, it's so much more fun. So like with Rootless, for example, today we just launched gift cards. And instead of being like a gift card for you or a loved one, I made it like <laughs> perfect for the person in your life who could probably buy their own stuff because you don't want to screw it up again this year. And like, <laughs> you know, and, and it's That's just brilliant. like, I, and I guess it just be like dumb about stuff, which, you know, our fearless leader, Sean, who's in the roasting room right now doing all the hard work, you know, <laughs> he like me and him will just like have these powwows and I'll like throw weird stuff out or he'll throw weird stuff out. And then we're like, we could do that. We're allowed to do that. That's cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, that, and that's part of the excitement. So yeah, I kind of have to like switch gears in my brain a lot to make the different things work, but it all kind of comes from the same place where it's like, there's people like Conan O'Brien that are so, they have like that razor sharp wit. I want to be able to respond to things as fast as I can. And I always like was fascinated with that. So yeah. most of my Twitter presence, for example, is like, I immediately think of a dumb joke or a response and I have to put it online or else I explode apparently. <laughs> so I just <laughs> constantly posting that stuff. But like, yeah. I've, I've gotten my brain to the point where it's like, I like that I could work around a situation quick enough to make it snappy or succinct or you know make you care about something um yeah so and that was years of telling stories to people and rambling on too long like i kind of am now or like <laughs> uh or like writing a thing that's too long or doing whatever like it comes to like all right let's make it more tight how do we get people to care how do we get people to stop scrolling how do we get people to watch more than 15 seconds of a video you know those are all things i like face on a daily basis now whether it's anything but the cool thing is I forgot that I could apply that stuff to my personal projects. So if I have a comic coming out, now I know how to like phrase the wording in a sales way, but make it a personal thing. Or I know how to pitch a song or a product or whatever. And it's cool that like the, obviously COVID's awful. And as a musician where I used to tour all the time, it like just kind of kicked me in the nuts when it comes to like that part of my life. But I like that. I have found a way to harness the creativity of being in a band and doing that stuff and apply it to different things. So no longer am I chained to like the swellers is my life or thing X is my life. None of that is it's, I get to like make up, I get to make up stuff. That's kind of my existence now, you know, like I get to be creative. I get to like, rearrange things and make them exciting and new and i don't even have to like reinvent the wheel but i can make you give a shit about the wheel so that's kind of like <laughs> like part of the the fun of what i do now it's it's life-giving and it's liberating that's what i was going to say earlier the swellers in just reading some of the articles about you guys disbanding and things like that and moving on to different things you know in one way that's a constraint because this is such a big part of your life it was a part of your identity but at the same token you're probably at a place now where it's kind of liberating right because you're at a point now where you have to really really prioritize what you're doing you have to have a hierarchy of, of important things in your life so you, you can distinguish what you really want to dive into and really devote your energy to so yeah. i completely understand that and i really i think it's cool that you say how you're talking about applying that creativity to other things in your life and just being able to you've discovered some of the psychology behind it, you know, making people care about things. It's, it's all psychology, right? 
Um, I like that you mentioned Conan O'Brien too, because I've always felt like he was such a genius for being just so quick witted with all of his guests and everything. He's got a great podcast. I don't know if you've checked it out yet, but that's, that's yeah. My like current favorite podcast. Yeah. It's so good. Just him yeah. being able to do the long form interview and really interview people the way you can tell he really wants to interview people is just really amazing. I actually went and saw him when he was in New York a couple of times on tour oh, and that was like, Anytime we went to New York, okay, we're going to go wait in line and, and go see Conan. Yeah. But, I mean, the dude went to Harvard, so he's just a genius. But when it's like, like that's one of those people that I admire because, like, his trajectory was, like, Simpsons – or, sorry, pardon me. Uh, it was Harvard, Simpsons, SNL, like, and, like, yeah. the way – and then talk show host, the biggest talk show you can get, and then, like, just his own thing. And it's kind of like – I like that he also opens up about how vulnerable he is because part of having a very quick brain is you don't know how to turn a lot of this stuff off. So a lot of people wired like us are the people that like work most of the day and do stuff most of the day. And like the yeah. Sean and I at Rootless are similar where it'll be like 1145 PM and it'd be like, yo, did you follow up with blah, blah, blah. Like we're still always yeah. thinking about that stuff, you know? but it's cool applying it to a thing that could benefit my future now. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Because uh, I think a lot of people, me included, were so obsessed with identifying themselves with one thing. So my band or like, you know, even the last like few years, like for me, it was like baggage is me. I put all my heart and soul into this. And then like all this dumb stuff started happening to where I'm like, no, because that's super toxic to think that way. And I was like, it's a thing I do but it's not me. I'm me. And I get to like, actually like focus on that for the first time and be stoked on that for the first time. Cause it takes a long time to like disassociate yourself with that. And I see that in a lot of younger bands and it like kind of bums me out, but I know they'll figure it out eventually, especially like pop punk world, you know, they're in their late teens or maybe early twenties. And they're like, dude, I just lost my great grandma or uh, my girlfriend broke up with me. And like, it's these like life-changing moments at the time but you haven't gotten to experience like the full range of life yet. And then you yeah. start doing that. And then in retrospect, you're like, I have to go through that to get to where I am. I have to, all of the things you're collecting over the years become who you are. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, even though I'm only 32, I'm like looking at things as like an elder being like, okay, <laughs> you'll get there someday, you know, but I just hope that people don't like obsess over the business parts of being a creative and obsess over like numbers and likes and all that stuff. Cause that stuff is the killer. You start gauging your personal interest on if people liked your post enough. And that's insane to me. Right. Cause when I used to play music, it was like, I really like playing music, so I'm gonna do it, you know? And then over time that your barometer switches to like the negative version of that. So when it comes to like a rootless thing, like I've, I've seen what all of these different things in my life have become. And then I was like, I'm obsessed with coffee. Everyone who knows me knows that's all I talk about. And then now I have actual real investment in a thing as opposed to like being fifth down on a chain of command or whether it's a corporate thing or a small business, whatever. So now it's like, no, like I get to say, this is my baby for one. We made this cool thing and we get to still utilize all of the creative stuff. And it's a product people buy. And that keeps coming back to like, and I could still do comics. And I could still do bands and I could still do whatever the hell I want because I get to choose to do it, not because I have to do it. And for the first yeah. time in my life, I could be like, yep, that's fine. 
Dude, that's incredible. And it's so funny too, because I feel like in some ways you'll be more ubiquitous in that capacity. You'll be able to produce more music because you can kind of shift gears and shift your creative focus somewhere else, but it's more life-giving. If I write a song now, it's just purely because I want to do it, just for the the creation aspect of it. I'm not expecting, or I'm not thinking about how I want to release it. I'm not thinking about how I hope it's received or how many units I sell or what the tour is going to look like afterwards. It's just purely just for the creation of it and just for the art aspect of it. And I like how you said with Rootless, you've got some ownership there. So that's fun too, right? You've got a little bit of ownership in it and therefore you can, it can be something that you really just enjoy giving time and energy to, right? Speaking of music, are you actively writing new music? I know you were working on the No Trigger new record at the beginning of the year. Are you guys hoping to release that next Um, year or? So that is in the process of being mixed and finishing touches and stuff like that. So our whole mentality was let's take our time with it because this is going to be one of those things where it doesn't matter if we release it now, because it's kind of stupid to do that. So we're just going, and again, not to like slight other people, but for us, No Trigger is like a project to get to tour in Europe because no one cares about punk rock in the States as much. (laughs) But it's like, without getting too much into it, it's absolutely bonkers of a record. So as far as like personal stuff, Braided Veins is working on some stuff. We're doing a cover for a compilation. And then we have... uh, a, a lot of stuff is in process. So as far as like my personal songs, that's kind of just like a for fun, whatever, if I want to do it. Yeah. But as far as like project wise, like Braided Veins is kind of doing stuff. No Triggers album is in the works. But yeah, that's kind of it for me. I've, I've decided to like take it easy and allow myself to not feel guilt for not writing my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, dude, for sure. I didn't write any music for seven years and I'm just now coming back to it. So I loved your stuff with The Inevitables too. Oh, thanks. Like everything I've heard from The Inevitables, I've I've been a big fan and that whole project is just so cool. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that alone. Yeah. Um, Is that just something that Benny hit you up with? Like, did he just hit you up about potentially writing and curating some of the art? Yeah, uh, it was like, they were, they had a few demos in the works and then he was just like, weird, big, crazy project. You want to do the comic for it? And I'm like, I love that I'm being asked to do the comic part and not the music part like that. Like, <laughs> out. So yeah, I got to bring in uh, my friends, Liana Kangas, Cardinal Ray, and then Fabian Lele. And Fabian and Liana, I talk to every single day. We're in this like comic group called Partners on Twitter. It's like a Twitter DM group with like 15 like comic affiliated people. And yeah, it, it's cool. Like it was pretty much like, help me create a world. Cool. Here you go. And then, yeah. you know, all of the like grueling, detailed parts that come along with that um but like that's you know part of developing anything and what i've learned from a lot of like comic creators specifically was you should have a few irons in the fire because it takes a long time to make a comic so in addition to that i am working on two other pitches and then starting to write a new one with one of my friends so it could be you know you never know if it'll be a few months for something to come out or like a few years But that's kind of the fun where it's, let's make this really good first and then kind of put it out. Yeah. And then let it breathe a little bit. It's kind of like films. I have a friend, I actually train out of an old school building. It's a local theater. The owner of the theater, he's a good friend of mine. He's in his early thirties or about the same age, but he'll do these short films and they'll sit for an entire year before he does anything with them sometimes. So yeah, I like that idea of having different irons in the fire and, and things like that. Just things that you can let them breathe and then come back to them and work on them and stuff. 
are you you're near your brother i'm not totally familiar with michigan but do you guys live close to one another or uh we're about like 45 minutes away now or something like that okay that's that's like, how far lawrence is to kc so yeah yeah he's yeah. in like a small farming town now it's hilarious yeah that's cool um i've had a couple conversations with him on instagram and he's always been really nice and just very gracious with kind of uh sending messages back and forth and stuff. When you do commission work for drum work, is that where you do it? Do you go to his studio to record things or do you do that out of your, out of your place? Um, it's changed. So for a second, I would do stuff at Rancho Recordo, which is in Fenton, Michigan, which is like 20 minutes from my house. But that's Mark Hudson who did Last Sweller's record, Baggage Stuff. And then he's done like Against Me, Taking Back Sunday, Saves the Day, which is crazy wow. that in Michigan where all that happened. Uh, so... I'll do stuff for him. I do stuff out of my basement when I did the, the Beats for Bail thing when we raised like over 3,000 bucks for the Bail project. And that was just covering songs in my basement, which was sweet. Or not covering songs, but playing drums on people's other songs. And then, yeah, I'll do anything else at Nick's house. So if people ever want to hire me for that stuff, I haven't done it in a while because the way I'm wired is if something slows down, I have a new thing already happening. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there. But, but yeah, so... I'm always like on call if he needs me, which is cool. So I have kind of a selfish question and you can totally just say, Hey, I don't want to answer that. (laughs) But have you and your brother ever talked about maybe just doing new Sweller songs and just releasing it into the ether and just seeing what happens? I mean, you guys don't necessarily have to do anything with it, but have you guys ever talked about just recording a new EP and just for fun? Um, My whole take on it is I don't want to ever do like a cheap thing. If we ever did something, it'd be like a big thing but like there's nothing in the works okay yeah my uh without getting into it is i just like having kind of that removal of the identity part you know um yeah and then that way i could like focus on this other stuff and not have to be like but one day maybe it can happen because i know it's different for people who listen to a band but like the way i look at it is like for me it's like it's a done thing and then you know, if there was ever a circumstance down the road, we would figure something out. But like, it's it's not one of those things where it's like, so people want it, let's jump back in. Because, <laughs> you know, to, to me, it's like, it's a lot more, there's more involved than that. So, yeah, like, I, I've just seen all these bands do that kind of stuff. But I would never want to do something just because it's a cash grab. I want to do it because it's the right thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just I read a couple articles just in preparation for this. And I think you mentioned in one of the interviews that Nick, your brother, he's still actively writing songs. And he seems like another one of those just very creative types and is always working on something new. So yeah, I mean, I appreciate you answering that way. Yeah. I think that's, you guys are being thoughtful with it. And I think that's really cool. And you know, the Swellers does have a legacy and you guys were a band for a really long time. And I mean, it's always different when you're in the band. I recognize that. I had a conversation with an old friend the other day and he was talking very nicely about my band from 16 years ago. And he was like, why don't you guys just record new stuff? He asked me kind of a similar question. And I thought, well, you know, that requires a little bit more like forethought. You know, I have to kind of carve out time out of my life to do that. I didn't talk to the other band members and just get things organized. And so I was just curious if maybe you guys had ever thought about that. Unfortunately, right here, I lose Jono for a second. It does that wonderful Zoom thing where it freezes up, but he comes right back. It happens, right? Yeah. I I also love that, like, it probably seemed like I was just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
because like I was like looking at you and you were like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, shit. It definitely it froze on a very concerned face of yours, and I thought, okay, oh good. shit, and then I was like, oh, it froze. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So I was gonna say, I dude, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. You're a busy man, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I'm always a fan of what you're doing. I'm always listening. You know, if I see a post from you, I'm, okay, cool. I'm gonna check this out. Do you go by Jonah or do you go by Jonathan? More so Jono now. A lot of, uh, so the, the funny backstory that a lot of people don't know. So my name is Jonathan. And when I was being raised, my mom was very anti me being called John. So okay. I had like an irrational hatred of it. And every time I meet anyone, I'm like, hey, I'm Jonathan. Hey, John, nice to meet you. I'm like, what the hell? Like every single time. <laughs> And then in, I don't know if it was eighth grade or my freshman year, like the name Jono kind of just started happening. And at first it was kind of like a joke on MySpace and then like legitimately became the thing. And then about a year ago, uh, most people who know me that are actually my friend would either call me Jonathan or Jono. And the quick decider, if I didn't know someone is be like, oh yeah, like me and John are good friends. And then like my wife, for example, would be like, yeah, I figure they don't actually know you. So, okay. So then about a year ago, whatever it was, I started officially going by John O'Diener for like comics stuff. So that's kind of my like adopted name. <laughs> and then, I like it. yeah. And then Jonathan's for like anyone else. But yeah. Yeah. And everybody else. Sure. And congratulations on getting married, by the way. You got married in September, right? Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah during <laughs> all 50 million things, I was like, oh yeah, marriage too. <laughs> Dude, I, I got engaged this year, so. Ooh, congrats. Thanks, man. Well, dude, again, this has been awesome. You're rad. I really appreciate you. Your brother's awesome, too. He's always been super cool. Yeah, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks again. And I'll definitely be looking out for any and all new projects. And I'm definitely going to buy some coffee, too. I'm going to submit. Me and my girlfriend, we're, we're big into coffee, so I'm going to be buying some today. Awesome. Well, it turns out I, I am, too, so that's cool. Rad. <laughs> awesome, man. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thanks again. Take care. And have a great week. You too, man. Take care. All right. See you, buddy.